Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Good morning, and welcome to Bible Center Church. It is so good each week to worship with you and to sit with you under the authority of God's Word. So as a teacher and as a pastor, I don't live above that authority. I live just like you under the authority of God's Word. And our hope and our desire every week is to faithfully teach God's word correctly and apply it correctly to our lives. So as I teach you, I'm also being changed and taught by God's word. We've been working through the book of Exodus, and this week we're in chapters 13 and 14, and I believe that today's discussion is going to impact us, it's going to challenge us. We're going to be discussing responses. How do we respond to hard, unfair, and even tragic things that come into our life? We're discussing a story that that's thousands of years old, but I believe it has tremendous relevance for today. In the history of the Exodus and the Red Sea, Moses and the people of Israel encountered the scariest moment so far in this young nation's history. And in that moment, we see two very different types of responses. As we watch their responses, I think we're gonna be challenged and forced to ask, how will we respond when the next big thing comes into our life, the next dramatic thing, that injustice that we see, the danger that comes upon us, or when we see a loved one who's mistreated? What will we feel? What will we say? What will we think? How will we respond and act? I believe their response and our response will be based upon a couple things, primarily on our understanding and view of God himself. It's based on how well we know him, the time we have spent with him, and our level of intimacy that we experience with him. As Moses and the Israelites face this huge challenge, we're gonna see, will they flex their faith or will they drown in their fear? Let's talk through the Red Sea story together just to make sure we have a background and we remember what happened. It is an epic scene, I mean epic. Like if you can think in your head to the biggest scene, battle scene from a movie, it's bigger than that. The one that pops in my head, I'm a, bit, a little bit of a Lord of the Rings nerd, I remember in the third movie, there's this huge scene where there's supposedly over 200,000 CGI units in that scene. Well, Israel alone has over a million people. And then you add in the Egyptian army, it's bigger than any scene you've ever seen in a movie. God takes the Israelites out of Egypt. They have an exodus. He delivers them out of Egypt. And there's a typical way that you leave Egypt God doesn't lead them that way. God leads them through the wilderness towards this big body of water called the Red Sea, through the wilderness. God himself leads his people. The Bible says he leads them as a, in a cloud by day and at night as a pillar of fire. The Pharaoh who's let them go, no surprise here, has a change of heart and goes after them. He assembles his whole army to go after them. He gathers over 600 chariots. Now, chariots back in that day were like lawnmowers for humans. I mean, it would simply mow people over and destroy other armies. The great chase is now in full effect. In chapter 14, verse 10, it talks about the response. It talks about the first moment when Israel realizes they're being chased. It says, when the Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. Can you imagine that moment? If you're Israel, you're looking up and you see this body of water out in front of you, 
and you look up and you probably see cloud, like a cloud of dust. You probably hear them coming, 600 chariots plus people on horses and the entire army. It probably sounds like thunder approaching, but actually it's an army, an army with an intention to take back their slaves, potentially take out their slaves and kill them. Now, the Israelites, even though there were a lot of them, we're talking about parents with young children. We're talking about grandparents with their grandchildren. They were young, they were very old. And Egypt, the army, they had swords and spears and horses and chariots. So in front of Israel, there's a huge body of water. And behind Israel, there's a vast army with a singular intent. You've probably heard the phrase before, stuck between a rock and a hard place. Try being stuck between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. That's where they are. And it says right here in chapter 14, what their response is. So listen to Israel's response as they realize their predicament, as they realize their situation. It says, and they, Israel, feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us to Egypt, out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to have served the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That's Israel's response. Verse 13 says, but Moses. So here's a contrast. Here's a different response. Here's Moses's response. He says, but Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. For the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Moses then is told to stretch out his hands. And while he stretches out his hands, God brings in this huge wind gust and pushes back the water into two big walls of water. It says, then the people of Israel pass through the walls of water on dry ground. So they can move with some speed. They can move quickly, unhindered, because it's on dry ground. After that, the Egyptian army follows Israel into the water. But it says now, God is throwing the Egyptian army into confusion. So Israel went across on dry ground, but the Egyptians are finding that their chariot wheels are not moving. So as the people of God make it through, the Egyptian army is now in the middle. And Moses then is told to extend his hands and the waters now come back together. And we are told that the waters cover the entire army. Not a single soldier survives. So let's go back and think about those two responses that we saw with this Red Sea experience. There are two very different responses. The first response was by Israel. Israel responds in light of their context. So let's, let's not just pick on Israel. Let's realize they've been through a lot. Israel's background at this point is they've been through 400 years of slavery. For 400 years, they haven't really heard the voice of the Lord. They haven't seen the hand of God amongst the people. They have been, they've been forced into labor. They've been beaten. They've gone through incredible pain. There was a period of time when many of their baby boys were drowned in the Nile right after birth. They endured the Nile turning to blood. They endured having the plague of frogs. Frogs were everywhere amongst the Israelites, not just the Egyptians. They watched the utter destruction of Egypt. So they're coming from a hard place. We need to recognize that and respect that. But that's not the whole story. 
In chapter six of Exodus, God basically sets Moses aside and says, Moses, there's some things I need you to tell the people. And he goes through multiple things that he has Moses tell the people. God tells them, I'm going to establish my covenant with you and this people. I'm going to uphold my promises. He says, I will bring you out of Egypt. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. God goes on to tell Moses, who's supposed to tell the people, I will be your God. You will be my people. He also gives them a promise that he's supposed to pass on to the people of God. He says, I will bring you to the promised land. God doesn't say, I'm gonna bring you to the wilderness to die. God tells the people, I will bring you to the promised land and you will take possession of it. In chapter six, verse nine, I think this is one of the sadder verses in the Old Testament. It says this, so Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. They were told all these wonderful things. They were given all these amazing promises. I will be your God. I will be there with you. I will take you all the way to the promised land and I'm going to give it to you. They didn't hear it. They didn't listen. They were so overwhelmed by their current situation that they forgot to listen to God. They were overwhelmed. So instead of having open ears, they had closed ears and closed hearts. Can you relate to their response? They feared greatly. They said, for it would have been better for us to have simply served the Egyptians. It'd be easier just to go back than to be here in the wilderness in this situation. When hardship comes, they respond with fear and a desire to go back. For you and I, when hardship comes, do we respond the same way? Throughout our life, we'll have times where we're gonna find ourselves in overwhelming, difficult places. We're gonna deal with tragedies, death, illness, incredible relational pain. Perhaps you haven't experienced that yet. You will, you just haven't lived long enough. We all experience some of those things. God may also call you into uncomfortable places. God may call you to change careers, have a hard conversation with someone you care about. He might call you to change a relationship. He might call you to move to another place or maybe go through a difficult illness or physical pain that just continues on and on and on. It could be as simple as this. God calls you out of your comfort zone. He says, it's time for you to have that conversation, that spiritual conversation with that family member, that neighbor, or that friend. All of these things push us out of our comfort zone. They can feel difficult, perhaps overwhelming. Kind of like that moment when Israel looked up and saw that army approaching. What will you do? How will you respond? Fear can take over. And when that happens, lots of thoughts run through our heart and through our mind. Thoughts like, does God know my needs? Does God have my best in mind? Will he help me? Does he hear me? Is God even here? We also sometimes share with Israel with this desire to return. Our tendency can be to avoid challenges, to avoid discomfort and changes. We'd rather just go back to our places, our habits and our people that have made us feel comfortable in the past. I want you to hear this next statement. If you don't believe this or you haven't heard this or you don't get this, you're gonna be ongoingly disappointed in your Christian life. God's goal is not to make you feel comfortable. Hear that again. God's goal is not, it never was, it isn't, it never will be to make you comfortable. And oftentimes those things that do make you feel comfortable, those are the same things that enslave you and stop you from being all that God wants you 
to be. You will never see the Red Sea part if you're not willing to get uncomfortable, step out of your old habits and embrace the challenge and the change that God might be calling you into as he calls you to move forward and forward and forward. Your relationship with God, your knowledge of him, your intimacy with him will greatly impact your response when the difficulties and the pains of life come right at you, and they will. Let's look at Moses's response. So we, we saw the Israelites, great fear, desire to go back. Moses, with much excitement, responds by flexing his faith. He doesn't give in to fear. He flexes his faith. In chapter six, that chapter where God tells Moses what to tell the people, the people did not listen. But Moses hears what God says. He prepares himself to be able to teach and tell the people what God had told him. It becomes a part of who he is. So when God said, I will be your God and you will be my people, Moses hears it. He hears God say, I'm going to be present with you. When he hears God say, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, I will pull you out of slavery, he hears God say, I'm going to be powerful. I'm gonna do what is necessary to do what I've called you to do. He hears God say stuff like, I will take you to the promised land and you will take possession of it. In hearing that, Moses hears that God's hand, his providential hand is over the circumstances. He knows what's going on. He's in control. He can be trusted. He hears God's presence, his power, and his providential hand is at work. So as fear is raging through the crowd, as Israel is complaining and basically yelling at Moses, Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. While you keep silent, the Lord, he will fight for you. So what is it that Moses understands and believes that Israel seems to forget and not believe? Three things. Number one, Moses remembers that God has promised to be present. God will never leave them. And through the passage, through the story of the Exodus in the Red Sea, we see God faithful to this. Let's look at a couple of verses. Chapter 13, verse 21 says this. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. God is right there with them. Chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. This is a great scene, a great picture. It says the pillar of cloud moved from before them and it stood behind them so that it came between Egypt and the people of God. So right there, you see God's presence right there and not only is he there, he moves into a position to protect his people from an approaching enemy. It's like watching a shepherd put himself between a wolf and his sheep. God is present. God is on the move. God is aware, and he's putting himself right where he needs to be to take care of his people. Chapter 14, verse 24 says, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire in the cloud. So he's in the cloud. He's in the pillar of fire. He's not over there and send a cloud to do his work. It says that he's in it. He's watching the people through it. Theologians would agree, and this would be a fun additional sermon that we don't have time to do right now, but theologians would agree. This is Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, the son of God himself with the people of Israel in the cloud, in the fire. For you, do you recognize the presence of God in your life? Do you walk with him in such a way that if he wasn't there, you would notice? Have you set up your day that your highest priority is how you're gonna get more time with him? 
Jesus tells us in some of his final words, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's a huge, incredible promise. Jesus who is in the cloud, Jesus who is in the pillar of fire says, I'm here with you. He's speaking to his disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's a promise to you. He is with you now and forever to the very end of the age, always. Moses didn't, always, didn't only recognize the presence of God, he also recognized the power of God. God fights for his people. Chapter 14, verses 13 and 14 says this, but Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. So there's an army approaching. There's a huge body of water on this side of them. And Moses looks out and says, what an opportunity for the Lord to flex his power, to show his might, to fight for his people. So he looks at the people and he says, salvation's coming today. It's coming today. He sees the power of God. He trusts in the power of God. He goes on to say, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. Moses recognizes that God is a present and powerful warrior for his people. That is still true today. I would argue with all of my being that Jesus is the greatest warrior who ever lived. A warrior fights for his people. This is how Jesus fights for you and how he fights for me. Jesus stood in our place. Jesus took the beatings that you and I should have taken. The whip that fell on Jesus's back over and over again is the whip that should have fallen on my back. It should have fallen on your back. You and I are the ones that lived our lives in rebellion to God. You and I are the ones who still, even knowing his love, so often make choices that don't reflect our desire to love him more or reflect his love to those who need it. We should have received those beating, but beatings, but he fights for us. He stands in our place. He also dies the death that you and I should have died. Jesus willingly goes to the cross for you and for me. He fights for his people. He fights for his children. Jesus goes on to bear the full wrath of God the Father, the wrath that I earned, the wrath that you earned, wrath that should have fallen on us, falls on him. Jesus attacked our greatest enemies. He defeats sin, death, and Satan. And Jesus himself, the great warrior, rises victor from the grave. He is the greatest warrior this world has ever seen. And he still fights for you and me today. So Moses trusts and believes in God's presence. He recognizes and believes in God's power. He also believes in God's providential hand that's controlling all the pieces of the circumstances of the situation all around them. Chapter 14, verses 17 through 18, God himself basically tells Moses, this is what's going to happen. It says this, God speaks and says, as for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them. And I will be honored. God says there's a purpose that I will be honored through the Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then there's a purpose. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God sees how through this event, more people will know who he is. Chapter 14, verse 31 talks about the results, the outcome of the Red Sea experience. It says this, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. 
So God flexes his power. People see his power on display. It looked like it was the end, but it was really just the beginning. It was an opportunity. It wasn't the end. It was an opportunity to grow in faith, to see the power of God. God is still in control of everything today. As a child of God, he has amazing promises for you. One of my favorite, probably a verse that you know, but I'm gonna read it again, is Romans chapter eight, verse 28. It says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I want you to notice a couple of things about this verse. Number one, this verse is not a promise for everyone. This is called a conditional promise. It's for those who love him. It's for those who've been called according to his purpose. So if that's you, if you've been called by God, if you're a child of the king, if you love him, that God has promised to you to work out all things together for the good. But let's go a little deeper with it. Your definition of good and my definition of good doesn't really matter. It's God's definition of good that matters here. Good does not mean your and my earthly security, our comfort or our convenience. That is sometimes how we define it. That's how our culture definitely defines it. We were created for so much more than those things. Our greatest good is found in our eternal security, not our earthly security. Our greatest good is found in contentment and peace with God. Who cares about convenience if I have peace with God? So the good for us are those things. It's the right things. It's contentment, peace with God, and security forever with him. That's what God promises. His providential hand is still at work in your life and in mine if you love him and have been called according to his purpose. So thankfully, we watch Moses flex his faith. He's willing to stand in the gap and basically put his hand up and say, I trust in God's presence. I trust in God's power. This, all of this is of him. He's got control. He'll stand against the crowd. He's willing to point people back to God and to faith, even when it wasn't popular. And even when it actually just doesn't seem to make sense, he trusts and he believes. So we saw Israel's response. We saw Moses's response. The next discussion is, how about our response? How are we gonna handle when that next Red Sea moment comes into your life and it comes into my life? When something comes in that feels insurmountable, overwhelming, even terrifying, how will you respond? I truly believe the choices you and I are making now, the way we spend our time right now will determine the way we respond tomorrow. I believe the best indicator of how you respond is how well do you know your God personally? When he speaks, do you slow down? Do you listen? Do you take it in and have it become a part of who you are? Do his words rattle around in your being? Are his promises the anchors of your life? Are you aware of his presence? Do you believe in his power? Do you recognize his providential hand over all things in your life? When I was a senior in high school, I ran headfirst into a Red Sea moment, one that I wasn't expecting, something that changed me and shook me. And I can honestly say it still shakes me today. Even as I share it, like I can feel it, it still is with me today. When I was in fifth grade, I went through some hard stuff with some friends and I became really good friends with a guy in my neighborhood named Ben. Ben and I did everything together. We ran cross country together through middle school and high school. We were involved with Young Life, which was a ministry that helped us share our faith with our friends. We saw lots of kids come to know Christ. We led Bible studies. 
His family was like my second family. My family and my brothers was like his second family and his brothers. We even worked at Wendy's together. And if you can get through Wendy's together, you're best buddies. So we were really close friends. If I showed up somewhere, the first question I was asked is, where's Ben? We were known as Mike and Ben. My senior year, we were hanging out with some friends and one of, them, one of them got a really weird phone call and they looked at me and they said, Mike, it's possible that Ben is considering committing suicide tonight. So my response, I grabbed Buddy, we went to Ben's house immediately. When I got to Ben's house, Ben wasn't there, his truck wasn't there, and his shotgun wasn't there. So we walk into his house. I tell his mom and dad, I think Ben might be considering suicide tonight. Can you call the cops? I'm gonna go try and find him. So I spent hours and hours that night running through fields and woods, searching through cabins in the middle of the night, pitch black, trying to find my friend or trying to find my friend's body. It was terrifying. I go back to Ben's house, the cops are there, they say, go back to your home. So I go back to my house. Early that next morning, my family gets a phone call. They found Ben's body about 200 yards behind my house in a place that I didn't look. And the first thing my mom says is we probably need to go over and tell Ben's parents. Nobody had told Ben's parents that they had found the body. So my mom and I go over to Ben's house. His mom comes running out of the door. My mom says, they found his body. I'm so sorry. Ben's mom falls in my hands. I basically carry her as a 17-year-old boy while she's wailing and screaming back into the house and I put her in a chair and then we go back to our house. Those are the hardest events I've probably ever gone through. I, I feel them still, like it's, I feel them. Like they're still a part of who I am. But that morning, after I got the phone call, after we had the conversation, I sat down with a journal, I sat down with my Bible, and I just spent some time talking to the Lord. I told him, Lord, I'm gonna claim this promise. I don't fully understand Romans 8.28. I haven't seen you have to use it in my life very often. Life hasn't been that hard, but I need you in this moment to show me that you can make good out of this. I talked to the Lord and I said, Lord, usually when something bad happens, I call Ben. I can't call Ben. Lord, I need a new best friend. Lord, will you be my best friend? And in that time, I got to experience God's presence in a new way, deeper, more profound. He's the first person I started talking to when something happened. He's the person I went to in good times and in bad times. But then that wasn't it. He was so good. I then get to share that journal entry at the eulogy, at the funeral, I get to talk to my entire senior class about what God had done and that God was still good, even in hard moments, and how he was still faithful to me and faithful to those who trusted in him, even in hard times. So I got to see his presence, I got to see his power. And over the course of the next couple of months, I got to see God's providential hand over hard circumstances. Multiple people came up to me and said, I'm ready to become a Christian. I don't understand. Can you help me understand how to start a relationship with God? And I got to lead people to Christ right there. Many of those people are still walking with God today. So in those very difficult moments, I saw God's presence. I saw God's power. I saw his providential hand over things that made no sense to me. How could God have turned this into a good thing? But God in his faithfulness, in his incredible goodness, chooses to do so. At the end of that, we had a friend group, a pretty good-sized friend group that Ben and I had. They had two different responses. 
Within that friend group, there was a certain number of them that basically gave up on God. They shook their fists at God and they walked away. To this day, they are still in that place with God. And within our group, there were some who were able to, in God's grace, they're able to flex their faith and go deeper with God. Some of those people are pastors and evangelists all around the country doing amazing things by the power and grace of God. So in that moment, stuff like that, how are you gonna respond? Are you ready for that? Is God your best friend? Have you seen his power, his faithfulness to his promises in your life? I want you to be ready for that moment. I want you to learn to walk with God during the day. I want you to sense his presence in your life. I want you to talk to him, talk to him all the time. He can be, should be, and can always forever be your best friend. He's always present. He's always there to the very end of the age. Enjoy his presence in your car, in the shower, as you're walking to work, as you're talking to someone else, he's right there with you. Do you see Romans 8.28 as a verse given to you? Do you view it as a promise that God has held over you, that his good will be given to you no matter what for those who love him? Good doesn't mean easy, but good means good. God's promises, his power, his presence, and his providential hand is over every part of your life. So friend, there is no army bigger or more powerful than your God. There is no sea deeper than his love or his provision. My prayer for you in your next Red Sea moment is that you can flex your faith and not drown in your fear. I don't wanna stop here. I believe, even though I've been through Red Sea moments, you've been through some, you're gonna have more, I think this is a moment in time where our country is going through a Red Sea kind of moment. And I fully realize, I fully realize, I have nothing to say here that can change the situation. There's, there's no unique word or perspective or experience that I have that can make everything okay. But what I do know, and I'm fully aware of, is there's nothing I can do or, or anything you can do to change the hearts of the people in our country. Every morning I wake up and look at that same guy in the mirror, I can't even change his heart. We do not have the ability without the help and work of God to change our very own hearts. So how do Christians flex their faith in moments like this? They get to their knees and they ask God to move. They ask God to change hearts. We've been told by Jesus himself, the way we love one another is the way he loved us. And that's not just about your families or the people that you care about. It's every single person, regardless of what they're like, if they look like you or they don't, we're called to love them like Jesus loved us and he gave us everything. He held nothing back. And the only way I become a person like that or you or people across our country is if God moves. So I want us together to do something. On Tuesday of next week, I would like each of us to pick a meal and to fast and to pray for our hearts and the hearts of the people in our country, that God would move in such a way that is almost tangible, that we see real change across our country, that we would flex our faith by fasting and praying. When Jesus talked about fasting, he didn't say, if you fast, he said, when you fast. And why would someone fast? It's a time where you say, this spiritual need is more important than my physical need. So I'm gonna put down my lunch and I'm gonna pick up prayer. So what I would like us to do is to commit to that, to spend some time on that. So this week, think about your walk with the Lord. Prepare for Tuesday, for your heart and for the heart of the country. As we think about that, as we prepare for that, I just wanna spend some time with you right now praying to the Father, asking God to change our hearts, asking God to prepare us for those hard moments. Let's talk to our God. 
Father, we come before you and you are present. You're here with us right now. In this moment, you are here and your hand is so powerful. Lord, even now, as we see cities burning, people losing their lives, you are powerful. And Lord, in your wisdom, you can move things in your providential hand to work things out for your glory and our good. And we ask that you would do so. We trust you and we love you in Christ's name, amen. We have one more song coming. It's a song about God's providence and the power of his hand, declaring that he is in control. So as we close our time by singing, as we close our time by worshiping together, just remember, enjoy his presence, recognize his power, and let's together praise him for his providential hand. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.